0: Production. How to build a base on the Moon. It's way more complicated than you think. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto and this is The Science Briefing. In the next year or so, astronauts will, once again, set their boots down on the Moon. But now, our lunar goals aren't just to make a visit. Instead, We're looking to build permanent structures on the moon that one day maybe humans could live in. But there's a major question we still don't have the answer to. How the heck do you even build something on the moon? Today, I talked to Cosmos magazine journalist Jacinta Bowler about the insane number of variables that affect lunar construction and whether or not a moon base is even possible. So Jacinta... We talk about space a fair amount on this show, but today we're talking about something that I have literally never given any thought to, and that's building things in space, like actual buildings.
1: Yeah. For the most part, focus has been on space exploration, landing on planets, discovering things, stuff like that. But now the focus is slowly shifting to inhabiting these places. It makes sense that you and most likely many others haven't thought about this, as we haven't ever really considered it to be possible to live on the moon, let alone build structures and settlements there, except in science fiction, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to visualize in my head what building something on the moon would even look like. If you think of a work site, for example, but those bits and bobs equipment just floating all over the place, like I know that's a bit of a stretch, but at least that's sort of what's happening in my mind right now.
1: The moon still has some gravity, even if it's not (laughs) earth gravity. So I guess it'd just be like more like jumping bits and bobs rather than floating. But yeah, I recently read a book called Artemis. This is a book about a space colony on the moon. It's been well established for a while. So the visual I have is from this book. You know, it's these big circular white domes of plastic with air inside. But real worlds, no longer science fiction. Yeah, we're literally talking about building things on the moon, a completely different set of conditions to here on Earth. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're trying to make structures that resemble those here on Earth as well. And then there's the question of how we'll construct them. And when it comes to the moon, it's not just humans who'll be building the structures. There'll be a decent amount of autonomous construction going on, using robots. So as you can imagine, there are some serious challenges from the get-go.
0: Let's go to the moon now and firstly look at some of the physical challenges of building on a place like the moon. I mean, as you said, it's a completely different environment than here on Earth.
1: Yeah, 100%. There's different gravity. As we talked about, there's also no atmosphere on the Moon, so everyone has to be suited up to get their oxygen, which is an obstacle itself. This lack of atmosphere also means that humans can be exposed to deadly solar radiation on the Moon. So humans can only have a limited amount of exposure from solar or cosmic sources before being required to return to Earth. This is where the robots potentially come in. Another challenge, this one might sound crazy, but it's a very real threat it's stray meteorites. Oh. Micrometeorites and other secondary debris are capable of puncturing poorly designed habitats. So you don't want to go to all this effort of building something only for it to be knocked down by a stray meteorite. Mm. On top of this, and this is something that looms over every part of the process
0: when it comes to constructing things in space, is the cost involved. Right, so run us through how much setting up buildings on the moon would cost.
1: So I can't give you an exact figure, but making a moon base is mind-blowingly expensive. Currently, the cost to launch one kilogram of anything into space is about 75,000 US dollars.
0: (laughs) Heck! Yeah,
1: it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, And just think about the sort of structures and materials you're likely to want to send up into space. You know, something as simple as a lightweight garden shed can weigh 120 kilograms. Oh dear! Yeah, you see where this is going. That would be nine million US dollars for one garden shed.
0: Go. <laughs> you want that to be a good garden shed, wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> You'd really, you really would. Um, you know, a garden shed. It's not particularly big. It's not likely to do that much to home people or protect them from the harsh conditions. Actually, maybe just don't send a garden shed up. I think it would be better. No. <laughs> But jumping back to the conditions on the moon, there's another factor at play here too, which is interestingly a major problem for building things on the moon, but at the same time could be the answer to getting these buildings up in the first place. This other factor is something called regolith. So that sounds like a supervillain.
0: Just into who well, <laughs> or what is regolith?
1: Well, it's not a supervillain as far as I know. Okay. It's basically moon dust or oh. lunar dirt lunar dust, it goes by a few different names. And it's formed by meteorites crashing into something. The crash site of the moon then smashes lunar dirt out of the crater and it lands on the ground. And the thing to know about regolith is that it's super destructive. It's razor sharp and jagged. It's also electrostatically charged, which means it sticks to everything. If people breathe it into their lungs, it tears them up. It can also rip apart astronauts' suits. So there's an issue in even having humans build on the moon if their suits are being ripped to shreds. This is hectic, Jacinda. I know. It's <laughs> you think this stuff's just regular dirt, but it is not. No. It's also super destructive to machinery, seals. So if you have a space between, you know, the doors to get in and out of the base, for example, it would break that down. Yeah. It destroys basically everything. It's super dangerous, but like I said, it's a bit of a catch-22 because it's also incredibly useful for a bunch of things around spaceflight. Okay. Because it's so common on the moon, researchers want to use it for a whole bunch of things. Some research has shown that moon dust can be used to create oxygen, hydrogen, and even rocket fuels, which could help power our space exploration to Mars and beyond. But there's another potential application for Regolith and that's turning it into bricks to then lay down the foundations for building on the moon. Oh. This is the focus of one researcher, Monica Stankiewicz
0: from the University of Adelaide. Okay, this sounds very cool. What can you tell us about Monica's research? So, she's studying lunar architecture.
1: Monica's research in a nutshell is looking at how we can collect and gather regolith, turn it into bricks, and then build structures to protect humans or things from the harsh conditions of the moon, which one day might mean we're able to live there. This is obviously important because if we're able to collect the regolith, we could avoid importing building materials from Earth. This means that we could bypass lots of the costs associated with transporting things up there.
0: So a few things to unpack here, but I want to start with how we can gather regolith. You were just talking about literally how dangerous and destructive it is. How do they plan to collect it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So one of the methods Monica mentioned was using rovers to drive around exploring and prospecting for regolith dust. It would then collect it and bring it back to some form of base to then turn into bricks. And then to turn it into bricks, there are some options. You can sinter it. This means that you're basically taking a laser and melting the regolith particles layer by layer. Mm -hmm. You can also cast it. This involves heating it up until it's molten and then pouring it into a cast, making a brick. And then when the bricks are made, this is the fun stuff. It's time to lay them down and make structures. In her research, Monica also focused on what types of structures could be made using these lunar bricks and using as little extra materials, for example, concrete, as possible. Extra materials is extra money getting them onto the moon to build. Monica, in her work,
0: settled on an architecture style called corbelling. Okay, I have no idea what corbelling is. What can you tell us about that, Jacinta?
1: It's a style that's been used since the Neolithic times, so that's more than 10,000 years ago. Wow. It's basically advanced brick stacking. I'd describe it as looking a little like an igloo, but instead of ice, it's stones. Okay. Monica looked at historical examples of corbelling to map out the best ways to do it, and the creation she made, she says it ends up with these cavernous temple-like spaces that have real Star Wars vibes.
0: Into it, so into it, Jacinta. (laughs) So, is there a plan for these buildings? Do they stand on their own or are they part of a larger structure or city even? Like, how does it work?
1: I think it's still a little far away yet, but the idea is to build some sort of base for humans. This is the one she thought up in her capstone research. So, the idea is that it would include living towers, a communications tower, a gym, a dome for vehicle and robot repair. Greeneries, the whole shebang. Monica even suggested a site on the moon for the base. It's at the edge of something called the Shackleton Crater. This is an impact crater near the South Pole that receives sunlight 86% of the time. This is an ideal spot because if the robots are solar-powered, they can get heaps of sun and they can do their little jobs creating bricks that are needed to build the base.
0: So Jacinta, not to be a party pooper... Say we build buildings on the Moon, what's to say they will actually survive? As in, we've never built on the Moon before. So how can we be sure that the structures we build will actually stay intact?
1: Yeah, so to survive long term, there will definitely be challenges both around repair and expansion of the base. One of the other reasons Korbelling was chosen to build these structures is because the bricks can be piled in such a way that certain ones can be removed for small windows or can be replaced if something breaks without damaging the structure. Okay. You can kind of think of it like space Jenga. From the outset, we're potentially going in with a building style that we think might be best suited for the conditions on the moon. But yeah, this is really a won't know till we try situation. There's so many variables at play, but I think it's really exciting because we're heading back to the moon. And no one has ever created a long-term settlement on another planet or moon. I am so, so excited to see what happens.
0: Jacinta Bowler is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Jacinta's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. And hey, if you like the show don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.